0: Hello, and welcome to the Sensuous Sounds of Infosec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso, and today we have a very special roundtable of CISOs, or CISOs, or CISOs, or CS, whatever you want to call it. They're here. It is very much my pleasure to introduce Joel Oldison, Matt Holcraft, and Dave Ruger. Uh, all of whom are in that position and uh, are willing to talk to us about what that's like. Welcome to all three of you. Um, please, let's go around and just do a brief bio of each of you. We'll start with Joel because he's the instigator of this episode. Joel, tell us, you.
1: Hey, uh, thanks, Ben, for having us here today. Uh, my name is Joel Odelson. Uh, I'm the CISO of a company that's an artificial intelligence Healthcare. Uh, prior to that, um, I worked in the semiconductor world uh, as well as in aerospace and defense. And in the early days, I worked for a couple startups by the name of eBay and VMware. Uh, I started my career in IT and about, uh, I'm aging myself now, but about Fourteen, fifteen years ago, switched to the dark side of uh, information security, and uh, I love it here. Um, it's it's amazing, fun, stress, uh, and rewarding all at the same time.
0: Let me just confirm: you're not actually doing healthcare for the AI. You're using AI to perform healthcare functions. Uh,
1: Correct. Yeah. It's not
0: like your company is therapists for robots.
1: No, no. My company is doing AI for, uh, for healthcare. Yes.
0: Excellent. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Matt. Tell us about yourself.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Uh, as Joel mentioned, uh, thanks for having us here today. Always good to share a bit of wisdom and, uh, and, uh, you know, let people know uh, about uh, what the great parts of it is, of the role is, as well as the painful parts. Uh, there's always pleasure with pain, so to speak. Um, hi, um, Matt Holcraft. I, uh, early days, was in uh, law enforcement, electronic crimes, uh, and then moved over into the private sector. Been in the private sector for about 20 years uh, across uh, consumer and product goods, uh, high tech. Uh, financial services, and um, have pretty much been in uh, some type of cybersecurity, right? Early on, we called it information security, Uh, and um, uh, I probably have been, uh, you know, in a senior role for the last 15 years or so in some Fortune 50 firms, so uh, I am happy to share my knowledge. Thanks.
0: Outstanding. Thank you. Uh, And Dave, go ahead and finish us off.
3: Sure thing. Hi, Dave Ruger. Uh, I am CISO for a biotech, health tech company. So, uh, you know, Joel and I kind of share similar pain points in in trying to bring maturity to an industry that typically has, um, let's just say, a room for improvement. Um, (laughs) immature. (laughs) Yes. Before that, uh, also similar to Matt and Joel did the semiconductors. Um, I started my career many, many years ago doing support and then, uh, building backends, a lot of database consulting. And, uh, and then I had my own business for about 14 years. So kind of run the gamut from entrepreneur to, uh, you know, cog in the machine. And well, here I am, you know, at the top of the heap on the security, uh, crosshairs. So Uh, Definitely an enjoyable journey Um, like being in this position. Of course, I think we'll talk about a few of the challenges that we have today as well as the areas that kind of bring reward to this particular position. But thanks for having me and uh, looking forward to the conversation.
0: Outstanding. Excellent. Excellent. And I like how all of you just sort of glossed over. And then one day I was a seesaw. That was that's an interesting way of describing that path. And I think you're burying the lead, but I'm going to try to tease some of that stuff out of you. Uh, I do have some set questions. And then I think, uh, you know, we can go free form. Uh, feel free to jump in, though, uh, as I'm bringing everything up. Let's go again round table, and I'll do it in reverse order. I'll start with Dave. Um, if someone comes to me and says, I want to be a CISO, and they say, what does the job entail? I don't know. I haven't done that job. If it's a day in the life of a CISO, describe a common eight to five 12 to 12, whatever your day is, do you just pick up a cup of coffee, pick up the phone, yell at a few people and then sit there for eight hours? Because a lot of people perceive that as being the CISO position. Tell us about one of your basic generic days, Dave.
3: I would say my days are spent largely um, tapping into a broader community of threat intelligence that comes in various forms inside and out. This would be an email, um, something that would come from the broader community of things that are happening. I start to dig a little or basically I'll open up my uh, computer and see the first thing is a Slack message or an email from someone inside that said, hey, did you know someone just did X? And then you start to peel the layers of the onion and realize, holy crap, we need to fix that. <laughs> and then you start to dig a little bit more and you go why are we doing stupid stuff we need to fix all of this this is not a technical problem this is a people problem and then you know over the course of the day you figure out okay maybe it's not as bad i have a team i can put them on this and then uh you know five six o'clock rolls around and joel and matt and i hook up and we go geez you know what happened <laughs> today <laughs>
0: So I got to ask, that sounds pretty granular, more than I expected from uh, C-Level. You actually get hands-on in terms of dealing with the issues themselves. Well, I think that's maybe- At least reactive.
3: For for me, I, I might be a little bit unique in my particular role because I've had hats in software and operations and everything, so I'm very dialed into a lot of You know, areas that I think I can provide assistance to even outside of security. So, you know, my role by and large for my entire career has really been that of a solution architect or an entrepreneur. So when I come into businesses, I don't just look at it through the lens of doing security. I look at it through the lens of how do we make the business better? And it just so happens I have control over a security function that can assist in that.
0: And that's that's a great concept. We try to talk about that in CISSP all the time. The security person may be a non-functional requirement, but holistically, security has to support the business. I, I like that a lot. Absolutely. Matt, what's your, what's your common day like? And uh, you can just I, say I, ditto uh, if you like.
2: <laughs> no, no, it's a it's a great question. Um, and as as you just pointed out, the 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 role is has become uh, very widespread in many organizations. And the challenge with that is, right, there are some large organizations that have a CISO who functions more as just a business manager, right? They're they're managing the day to day, they're making the large strategic decisions, you know, then those mid sized firms, they're both technical, hands on as well as making those those strategic decisions and interfacing with the CFO and the CEO and the board, et cetera, and then of course in, in some smaller smaller enterprises and smaller businesses, they are very hands-on and very technical and rarely get into possibly strategic planning and things like that. That might fall more towards the CIO or the VP of IT or something like that. And so I I would encourage your listeners to you know really target what level what type of organization they'd want to be a CISO in, and, you know, that really, they can take that and use it as a roadmap to where they want to get to be. They want to be in a Fortune 50 organization as CISO. Um, It's going to take a while to get there. They're going to have to likely go through many different levels, and in the end, when you're that CISO, you're not going to be very technical. You're not going to be very hands-on. You'll know, you'll know enough, right? You'll, you, but you'll be making business decisions and risk decisions versus technical decisions about whether this court should be opened on the firewall or something like that. If you'd rather be in a smaller organization, a startup, or, you know, a small, small company, you're going to be more hands on. Now you can go and get the title and get a FISO title early on in your career being hands on in one of those small organizations. And I encourage you, because that could be a stepping stone for one of those larger organizations, but. Uh, I I heard someone say we're in the golden age of cybersecurity and everybody's realizing the need for it. And I think that many people are getting the CISO title, but they're not a CISO as we think of as being at GE or um, Westinghouse or GM or something like that. Those type of CISOs are really more business managers. uh, And I encourage your listeners, and I would just say that you really need to hone in on what level and in what type of organization you want to be in.
0: So, okay. You've jumped ahead to a question I'm going to ask later, which is (laughs) great. Uh, talking about the pathway to CISO dumb, but, uh, I I just want to nail you down a little bit, and this may be your cop background where you're
2: resisting the interrogation, uh, a
0: a day in your life. What is your CISO experience like?
2: Quickly a day in my life. Um, Once I uh, moved in the private sector, I moved into a CISO role. You asked about our path there. So uh, because my law enforcement background and training enabled me to move into a CISO role, chief security officer with with physical security and crisis management and things like that with Altria Group, large consumer packaged goods company. So a day in my life, uh, typically, was um, I, I did a lot of what Dave mentioned was reviewing threat intelligence, interfacing with uh, the incident response group on what what was out there, what they were working, those sort of things, but uh, was much more on a business risk uh, decision-making scale, uh, interfacing, going to meetings with other C-suite leaders or uh, senior leaders in the organization, Both to build those relationships, because, of course, you know, we all work in a system, so to speak, in an organization, but also to understand what their needs are and how the cybersecurity group can best meet those needs.
0: Outstanding. Excellent. Excellent. So a lot of meetings.
2: A lot of meetings meetings and a lot of email uh, reading and responses. And let's let's call it like a politician, a lot of shaking hands and kissing babies.
0: I was going to say it sounds like political policy, and people more than yes. procedures and bits and bytes, right?
2: That's correct. That's correct. And and those, the the procedure, the people process and technology, um, you know, I, I've typically been in a role where I'm managing the individual uh, uh, stakeholders who are managing those people processes and technology. Um, again, it depends on what kind of CISO you want to be. If you want to be hands-on, you you can probably go into a lower level organization that doesn't have as much um as much as many uh resources, people resources to do the work and you'll get a lot of that.
0: Outstanding. Thank you. All right, Joel. Sure. Tell us about your day and how different it is from both Matt and Dave's and how you just sit and drink coffee.
1: Yeah, uh I I wish it was <laughs> as simple as drinking coffee. <laughs> I I would say uh similar to both Matt and Dave. Um you know uh, looking a lot at risk right and how the risk is going to impact the business because you know you're it's almost like you what dave said you pick up a rock and a whole bunch of you know bugs go scattering right and you have to really be able to understand which of the risks could have the largest impact to the company and the likelihood of it happening and then you know to correlate with what matt said is then meeting with the actual owners of the risk because the CISO is really not the owner of the risk. We don't own risk, we identify risk, right? And then what we do is we work with the stakeholder of that risk to try to mitigate it to an acceptable level. So a lot of time is spent within the business unit trying to get the business to understand what the risk is and how implementing some security features to mitigate that risk will affect the business. And so it's kind of a give and take, right, is because um, you can't always eliminate the risk. Actually, you can't eliminate risk to nothing, but really understanding what the risk to that business is or and being able to bring it to something that's acceptable that, um, you know, the company can handle and the board is, will accept as well.
0: Sounds like more meetings.
1: It's a lot of meetings.
0: Yeah. A lot of meetings. Okay. All right. All right. So, I, and again, I, I think we see this carry over from CISSP, where uh, my good friend and colleague, uh, Matt Snoddy, often says the CISSP or the CISO isn't the person who picks up the tool and fixes something. The CISO is the person who picks up the phone and talks to the person with the tool who fixes something. You write the policy to make that happen, and, and uh, your, your employees and your staff implement that. Um, all right. So, uh, Matt already started us uh, in the discussion of path to ciso Um Joel, I'm going to ask you, if someone comes up to you, a young person comes and asks you, how do I become a CISO? What would you tell them? Would you tell them to get a degree, certification, experience, all of the above?
1: What would I, you say? I would say, at least for my career, um, experience was key. The other things are also important, but experience was key. Um, There was one point in my IT career early on where I moved from pure IT infrastructure over into product development. And I think that was a huge eye-opener for me as a CISO later on in life because now I understand what the software development lifecycle is like, right? And as we move away from hardware into software, I have a lot of empathy for the teams that are building the software and and the stress that they're under. Because they're looking at rolling product out, right? And, yes, they want to make it secure, but they've got a lot of pressure to roll that product out by a particular time frame. So back to your question, I think a, you know, a well-rounded uh, career where you're learning lots of different things is vital because that will put you in a position to understand the business requirements better and then of course you know education and and um maybe getting your cissp i don't think you you know i i think that's kind of what you need to put in in order to get that role at that level those are kind of you know the the minimum things that you would need to do but well rounded in, in work experience
0: in terms of education let me let me jump on two things that you said uh in terms of education which degrees would you say would be Uh, Beneficial, And then the second question I've got is, you said the well-rounded experience, which I love, I think that's great, the more knowledge you can bring, the better a leader you're going to be because you understand the comprehensive needs of the organization. But there are organizations out there who put out job descriptions that say you must have 15 years concentrated in security or you're not even going to be considered. To me, that's the hiring organization shooting itself in the foot. But there's a lot of people who are afraid of spreading their breadth of knowledge because if they don't stay focused, they're going to be aced out of competition. So, uh, first of all, so which degrees would you say, Joel? And then how would you address the disparity between breadth and concentration?
1: Well, I actually don't have a degree in computer science, right? Where um, do I? Uh... I have a BA in political science uh, and history. Right. Um, But at the time that I was going to school and again, I'm dating myself, um, you know, there wasn't, there were no degrees in information security. Right. Um, There wasn't even the title CISO at the time that I was uh, going uh, to college, or it was just coming out around that time. Um, I think now, you know, with some of the universities, they have uh, degrees specific in information security right and i think that probably if i were to mentor someone or, or you know talk my children into becoming a CISO one day um i would uh strongly recommend those however i think you need to take those other classes right software development classes um i think you need to take those networking classes because to understand you know really what we're protecting today um, runs across networks and, and is really you know, focused on software. So understanding uh, those key areas early on, I think are key to your success in the future. And I agree with you, Ben, um, you know, uh, when looking for a CISO role, the job description shouldn't be 15 years, right? Um, you know, this is a fairly new industry and I think you're gonna overlook a lot of people Um, the HR folks will overlook a lot of people because they'll just automatically toss a resume that doesn't have, you know, 15 years, only has 12. So I think it's really important that, um, you know, the business leaders that are creating the job descriptions understand that, you know, Matt says we're in the golden age, that's true. But um, I think, you know, we haven't been around that long and expecting, you know, pedigrees of of people with long histories is not, you know, getting – Get you the best results. Totally
0: agreed. And I also don't want someone with tunnel vision being at that level of the organization either. I'm with you. Good. Um, Matt, you had already started talking about that route, that path. Uh, Anything that you want to add here that you think somebody should do or try uh, if they want to become that level.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, uh, uh, Firstly, I think, um, you know, I, I made this mistake early on in my career. Uh, a job job description of job uh, listing is a wish list, right? So, if you don't match every single thing in there, or if you have 12 years and it says they want 15 years, go ahead and apply. Because uh, I, what I've found both applying for jobs, talking to recruiters, as well as recruiting uh, staff myself, is that um, uh, oftentimes you have to convince management of, of to pay more, especially these days when there's tight labor market and we all want to, you know, uh, all the, the, the incomes are going up for people like us because we're so scarce. Sometimes you have to bring in, you know, those resumes that don't fit what you're looking for to get management to understand that they need to up the pay so that you can get to where you need to be, or that this is what's available in the market. Uh, enough said about that, but um, I, I would say, um, uh, a degree is, is uh, I, I learned earned my degree as an adult. I was 30 years old. Uh, for a long time, I didn't have a degree, but I went and got. As many certifications as I could, I say as many, I, I, have, I think I have like 4 total. Um, but those those certifications, like the. CISPE, they uh, served in place of that in the end. What's what's a, what's a degree a degree is a baseline of knowledge and education so that that employer knows that you at least know this much. What's the certification? Same thing, right, Ben? Uh, it's a baseline that you at least know this much, and a third party, the university or ISC or whomever, has now validated that you know this baseline. So I I, and I, for, would even say,
0: I would even say with the degree, it's not even demonstrating knowledge. It's the fact that you show up four years in a row. And that you can follow Correct. a schedule and meet uh, a, a list of requirements. Exactly. That's it. And there's value to that, but it's not the, the knowledge that it's supposed to represent. That, that, that would be 100%. my
2: 100%. You managed a project for four years uh, on your own that no one was pushing you to get done, and you completed that project on your own over four years and met that minimum need, meaning GPA, to get the, the degree. That's what they're looking for, right? I had to, I had to come to realize that as an adult, as a person without a degree, and as well that I was only, I had a ceiling that I was going to get to if I wanted to be a CISO or move into senior leadership positions. Without that degree, there was certainly a ceiling. Is it fair? Is it great? It is not. But guess what? That's life, right? Uh, there's and, nothing and there to aren't do about it. you got harder.
0: And there aren't many other metrics that an organization can use to make that cutoff.
2: 100%. And that's why we see a lot of those degree requirements. On the degree, I'd say any degree is going to help you as long as you have additional experience to get there. Uh, Obviously, computer science is great. Information systems, like Joel said, that gives you more of a well-rounded view. I actually did get a cybersecurity degree, information systems security uh, degree from American Military University. Uh and you know, like I said, I got it when I was thirty, so I'm in my late forties now. Um, so it was around. It's great to have, but most of the listings I've seen just want you to have a degree again, just to get there. How to get to seeing CISO, like Joel said, it's just, you know, building your skill set, taking all of those projects that you that you can, that you think you qualify for, stepping up volunteering, um, even outside of your organization with uh with membership organizations like ISC, like all the other professional uh, organizations, be a chapter uh, vice president or president or whatever, again, that's showing to your leadership at your organization, as well as where you might want to go, BC, so that you are uh, responsible, that you can manage a project, that you can, what does being president of the chapter tell you? that you're interfacing with all of the members, you have various stakeholders, you're working with a national organization, all of that. You just really need to be purposeful and volunteer and take on as much as you can doing, expand your skill set as quickly as you can, understanding that, you know, life happens and, you know, if you wanna, you know, have a normal life, you need to have a work-life balance as well.
0: Outstanding, excellent. And I like how you put it, it's almost, Agnostic in terms of either the degree or what efforts or projects you're working on, whether it's ISACA or SANS, doesn't matter. As long as you have that resume fodder to reinforce and bulk up your assertions that you have that capacity and that capability to do those
3: things. I like that a lot. Thank you. Dave, anything to add? Well, I mean, I think that we, we covered a lot of ground here, and I will echo, you know, along with Joel, I don't have a, a CS degree. I got my uh, my degree in English lit. So my advice to anyone who wants to be a CISO, okay? And if you're talking about other aspects of security, you know, meaning like network security or, um, you know, security architecture, incident response, definitely you wanna go more technical, right? I mean, that's it's very important to have those skills if you're targeting CISO, I would say the most important thing is communication skills, right? We spend a lot of time writing documentation, policies, communicating via email, you know, like our role really is being the face of security. So we have to kind of represent on multiple levels. Also, we have to know our audience, which means We have to communicate down to people who are more technical and can speak geek. We also have to speak to boards and executive teams that are basically gonna gloss over if you start throwing acronyms out there. So um, it's an interesting topic right now when we think about the hiring conundrum, right? The pay scales are off the charts. Security is generally getting a premium even above and beyond things like traditional software engineering technical degrees. So how do we source the talent? And as Matt said, and Joel said, if you start right out of the gate, looking at an individual career, you're gonna get a certain result. It may not be the appropriate result for what you're trying to achieve with your hiring practices. So one of the things I've been advocating with my own team is we look for new talent is, let's not focus on degrees, let's focus on critical thinking and the ability to understand problems, right? We're by and large in a, in a role where, you know, the types of things we're seeing on a day to day basis are basically new, right? Who would have predicted 2 months ago, 3 months ago that we would all be fighting a massive global cybersecurity threat coming out of Russia and Ukraine because of a, a geopolitical conflict, right? Um, and in fact, I think uh, we had a two-week period where there were two zero days, an breach, and, you know, another high-profile event that was impacting us almost daily, right? Um, that speaks to the other part that all three of us, I think, have done a really good job at, which is risk management, right? Uh, the CISO's role, by and large, is understanding what risk is. You know, so if I was going to make recommendations to anyone about how they're going to you know, approach a roadmap to get to be CISO. Um if you like the technical start there, that allows you to speak, you know, from the top down with your, your technical teams, but definitely focus on um, a risk management mindset. Looking at how to quantify, how to assess the risk, how to speak risk to people who really don't understand it in ways that's meaningful. So you can make the appropriate business trade off decisions. Right, and then at that point, I think it really is all about building brand. Just like Matt said, get your name out there, build a blog, You know, networking is super critical, especially at this level. Let's face it, we're not getting jobs because we put resumes into job application boards. We're getting jobs because we know people in the industry that we've worked with for years, that we've developed relationships with and are having the right opportunity at the right time.
0: Yeah. And and Joel, I think you were going to add that in the chat as well. You said, uh, build your professional network, go out there and meet people. And Matt said, join your local chapters of, you know, ISE Squared, ISACA, uh, uh, ISE EA, you know, um, uh, what's the physical security one, uh, as is, right? All of those things you can meet and you can coordinate with other people. So when those opportunities arise, they know who you are and they can exploit you and you can find your way
1: into those positions. I would would add one more quick thing to that is sure. Build your network, but don't just focus on security professionals. Right. My my current role, I got that through uh, a lawyer. Right. The chief legal officer of, of the firm that I had worked with in the past. And so um, focusing just on security professionals, they all want your job, right? We all want the big job, right? And so realistically, you've got to build your network outside of the security realm because um, otherwise you're going to be
2: a and, and we're just horse racing. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. I'd like to add to that as okay, well. So, uh, that's so a good now, point, Joel.
0: Oh, yeah, please. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. Go um, ahead, man. Uh, Just, uh, and kind of Dave mentioned it there as well. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, You know, the uh, executive recruiters and recruiters by and large, don't forget to build your network with them as well, right? I know that can be pains in the butt sometimes, and then they send you a message over LinkedIn, and it totally doesn't match what your skills are, your qualifications, or (laughs) your level, whatever it may be, but you start building those relationships now, and possibly if it doesn't match your skill set or your level, you you know say, "Hey, I'm happy to have, jump on a call, find out what your needs are," and you know give it to some of your friends and colleagues and things. Those recruiters will remember you, and they may not be the level to recruit CISOs now, but possibly you'll both get there eventually, and you've been helping them now for ten, 20 years. And when they find a juicy CISO gig, they're going to funnel it to you first because you've always helped them. You're you're their friend. You've developed that relationship. Don't forget about that piece of thing.
0: And you've bolstered your relationship with your other colleagues by helping them find positions as well. So it's a win-win-win. 100%. Even is. though recruiters are parasites and vampires. But <laughs> <laughs> they're useful parasites <laughs> and vampires. Um, all they right, are. so Dave, you brought up the – the unfun part of the job. <laughs> that's, that's my final formal question for the roundtable. If you can, share with us, share with the world your worst moment as CISO. And that can be worst from a personal perspective, worst from a professional perspective, worse from an overall business moment. And I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and, and this is going to give an opportunity for Matt and Joel to think more about it. But, Dave, can you, can you come up with one?
3: Um. Well, obviously, I can't go into a lot of details. Because no, no, and that's fine.
0: Too, and I think we all understand.
3: Would, would be privileged, but I, I think the worst moment is when you get the call literally at two in the morning for something that's happening in real time um, at a level that really should not be happening, um, where you have to have very difficult conversations with people at Legal, executive, and potentially board level um because someone did something they weren't supposed to do, and um those generally tend to be very long kind of experiences uh you know it starts at two in the morning and it ends three weeks later with multiple outside investigators um lots of forensic evidence gathering, just almost like a twenty four seven grind so you know, to anyone who's looking to get into this role, it's not a matter of if, it's a when, so be prepared for it. Because when it happens, it is extremely unpleasant, it's super stressful, and it does put you into a mode of thinking where um, that communication is really important. What you say and even hinging on a single word is the difference between containing risk for the business and creating a whole bunch of liability, which could then result in breach notifications and PR nightmares and all of that. So, you know, again, when you think about making friends within your company, make sure you've got those relationships bolstered as well, because when you need it in a pinch, you need a marketing person, a communications person, you need your heads of HR, legal, everyone has to be on the same page. Otherwise, it can be very disastrous.
0: And, and, Dave, I, I like that you mentioned that it takes three weeks. And and usually in the first 72 hours, at least in my experience, all the data you're getting is wrong or all the conclusions you're drawing are wrong. And it, it, it doesn't really take shape and harden into form until you've got that three days arm's length to know what the thing really is, the size, scope, scale, and depth. Um, yeah. But three weeks, you're also pushing off. All of your personal life. If you have other things that you had prioritized, guess what? This is why you are getting the big bucks. This is why you're at that level. You're suspending the rest of your life for that
3: duration, right? It. I mean, that is kind of what you sign up for. You know, I hate to say it, but we all are walking crosshairs. And uh, when things happen, where the buck stops with us. We control yep. all of it. So, you know, if you're not prepared for that. Maybe you want to look at a different career opportunity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Great. Uh, Matt, what do you got?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Ben. Uh, I, I echo what, what Dave said, and I think probably for, for most CISOs who've been around for a while, for any senior leader who's been around for a while, there are a few different things that are at the same level. Uh, yes, what Dave had mentioned, right, that that breach event or incident event that's going to, you know, completely probably change Uh, The organization, at least your organization, security organization, et cetera, I'll throw out there um, uh, and think about this. We're talking about people's careers here, right? Think about as as your listeners are thinking about their progression of their career and those, let's say, career decisions that you might be making uh, that may seem insignificant when you think about making them, but, uh, you know, long term, they're exactly that, right? Uh, to me, it's it's very sad when you see someone either in your org or, you know, someone in the organization that you either work with or is a rising star, and they just make a very bad decision to do something within the organization that is against policy, not only, obviously, cybersecurity or IT policy, but HR policy, et cetera, especially if they're in your the organization and they were a rising star, it's very disappointing. Um, and, uh, you know, there's an old saying that uh, we risk what we care about, and, uh, you know, that'll show you what you care about is what you risk. So I would just encourage your listeners that even small and significant decisions may impact you later on, and uh, so you need to think about those things that may seem trivial when you're making them, and something, you know, not only yourself, but your coworkers and people across the group, especially in IT, they may you know, be doing some things that are would probably be frowned upon that, you know, about my recommendation would be to stay away far away from those as possible, because there's nothing good that can come from that.
3: And
0: the two excellent points, I think there one is the is there for a reason. If you follow the policy, you're kind of bulletproof, but at least you're shielded somewhat. And then the second thing is, and this is really troublesome. We are living in a moving target world where behavior or speech that was acceptable five years ago is now not only frowned upon, but highly distasteful now and can come back to haunt you because the Internet is forever. And that can affect your entire career, not just your position at one
2: um, employer. Yeah, and don't forget what you post out there on social media is is there forever and can be pulled up and when you want to go get that CISO role if they do uh an in-depth background on you not just criminal and credit uh you know those that that fun joke that you sent around five years ago may come back to bite you in the butt
0: yep absolutely and and i think one other thing i'm drawing from what you just said being in that leadership role means that sometime you have to euthanize the dog even though you love the dog, even though the yep. you know you know that it had the best intentions, it did something that is irrevocable, and you have to deal with it and that's a lot of pressure that's a lot of stress and strain on you as as the leader
2: absolutely I think that that to to that point that's where you have to realize as a senior leader that sometimes you make friend, may be very close friends with somebody who you know the organization decides either they don't need around anymore because of like a reduction in force or that you know that they they did something that they shouldn't have and uh you know their their days are numbered uh and it's painful and it's sad they'll still likely be your friend when they leave but uh my point here is you you, you really have to be careful how close you get to people as well
0: excellent thank you great point joel
1: what do you got? Uh I would say, and this goes to work life balance. Uh one of the major incidents that I once had, had um did impact my work life balance. It actually occurred right as I was about to leave home for one of my kids' birthdays. And so I actually missed one of my kids' birthdays, right? Because of this incident. Um and so, you know, it's it, it still hurts my heart a little bit, right? But um but You know, that's, I think we plan, and when an event takes place, we have to rise to the occasion. That's really what the business is looking for, right? And so, you know, I think you can do your DR tests. I think you can, you know, um, make sure you're doing tabletop exercises and all those different things. But as a CISO, you also have to prepare to make sure you're saying the right things at the right time right, that you know how you're going to respond when a ransomware attack hits or when something else happens, right? And so because, you know, when it happens, you need to rise to the occasion. And if you don't, well, then you might as well have a letter of recommendation ready to go because you will be the fall guy or gal um, or person uh, that, um, you know, will be the one To be exited out the door if things don't go well right so you need to make sure you're prepared that you have a forensic firm on standby right on retainer you know whatever it is that you think that your company needs um you need to be prepared personally and
0: and two things i draw from that one is uh, you know part of the job description is being the fall person Mm -hmm. i mean you get thrown under the bus when that time comes, that's kind of what you've set yourself up for in certain circumstances. And we've seen it happen over and over again in our industry from Target to, I mean, we've seen it. Um, and the other thing that I draw from that is while your kid might really resent that one day, that birthday that you didn't show up, 10 years from now, or as an adult, they're going to look back and they're going to respect. They're going to say, you know what my father does? My father solves Problems, And I'm proud that on that day, you know, he got called into action. He had to go and run and save the day. So I think that's kind of a worthwhile trade off as much as it hurts in the moment. I think it establishes a character and again demonstrates that leadership that really speaks to the person as well. Yeah, you
3: know, one thing I wanted to add, too, is that, uh, you know, what Joel pointed out is it, that it's kind of the leadership quality, right? When you think about this role, uh, the people that do it well, it, the difference between a good CISO, let's say, and someone who's just kind of showing up for the job really is about the presence of mind when the bad stuff happens. Case in point, look what happened with the Equifax breach and the response there compared with the one from Maersk, Right you had two different CISOs, two completely different responses. One of them survived and the other one did not. Why? Because of how the the risk and how that criticality of the event was handled. In one case, it was very much sort of brushed under the, oh, there's nothing to see here. And then it was a lot to see there. Right. Well,
0: and then they sold their own shares too. So that that yes. I mean, goes it goes just beyond ignoring the issue. That goes into self-serving and abuse of power. I mean, well, you know.
3: And that goes back to what Matt says is like when you get to that level, it's now you're talking about questionable ethics and, you know, the the code of conduct. So, you know, certainly we have to be mindful of that. And and although this is sort of a security role, we see it all, right? And at that point, it's like knowing who your friends are is really good because if you get caught up in the web of that, even as collateral damage, even though you didn't have anything to do with it, if you didn't say something, you're culpable, right? And that all goes back to sort of the presence of mind as a leader. If you cultivate that type of uh, mentality of trying to be setting an example, it goes a long way for building great teams and also for establishing a reputation.
0: And and wouldn't you say also that part of your role is appearing immaculate? Like you said, we're the face of security. And we're given a lot of responsibility and trust. And we could abuse that to great impact and harm, like the McDonald's security team who was ripping off the Monopoly game. You know that It's always us. It's always the people with the badges. It's always the people with the clearances. We're always the ones who hurt the organizations the most. So if we stay uh, irreproachable, that is the best place for everybody right if we if we color within the lines
2: unfortunately
3: we all are Spider Men and spider women with great power comes great responsibility
0: <laughs> all right on that note i think um we've taken so much of your time i really appreciate all of you i'd love to have you all on the show's individual guests as well in the future if you're uh willing um i can't thank you enough any last words uh, that you have in our, in our final moments to convey to the audience, anyone, I'm just going to throw that up into the floor.
3: Abandon all hope. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, uh,
0: this has been another episode of the sensuous sounds of InfoSec. I'm Ben Maliso. Uh, I want to thank Joel Oldison, uh Matt Hallcroft, and Dave Ruger, thank you so much. See you again next week for another episode.: Thanks, Ben.
2: All right. Thank you. Ton.